This is the Last of Us podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and this time we're talking about The Last of Us, episode three, Long Long Time. Come on! Hey! Would you stop? Do I ask for things? Ever? Why am I even saying that? This isn't for me. This is this is for us. Who cares what they look like? I do. Our home isn't just our house. It's everything around us. Give me a break. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I live in this world. You live in a psycho bunker where 9-11 was an inside job and, and the government are all Nazis. The government are all Nazis. Well, yeah, now, but not then. Welcome back, my fellow survivors. This is the Last of Us podcast on TV Podcast Industries. And today, we're talking about The Last of Us Episode 3, Long Long Time. I'm one of your hosts, Chris, and I'm going to be holding back my tears for most of this episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. That makes two of us. Uh, I'm your other host for this episode, Derek. Um, John is uh, full of a vat of tears uh, yeah. after this episode, and unfortunately can't join us for this one. Yes, he's a blubbering mess, and we just mm-hmm. can't we can't stop at the tears, the the waterworks, if you will. Yeah. Um. Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh wow! This this not getting into spoilers, but mm-hmm. this TV show, this episode, this 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 is why we have quality TV, mm-hmm. and this is why we praise some amazing writers on these podcasts when we go, do you know what? This hit me in the feels. It hit me in the heart and the head and you Mm. name it. It hit me there. And it was that good. Yeah, absolutely brilliant TV. Absolutely loved this. I heard uh, before the show came out, um, all the screenings that were going out for for the full series were calling out episode three as one to watch and one to enjoy. uh, And they were totally right. This is excellent television. Yeah. Loved it. So we got to kick off the, the this podcast with some both good news and unfortunately some bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's maybe start with the bad news and then move into the good news um, so that we can kind of both uh, commiserate and celebrate. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. it is with a heavy heart that it was announced earlier in this week that uh, Annie Wershing, who plays Tess in The Last of Us game and the Borg Queen in Star Trek Picard Season 2, mm-hmm. which we covered here on the podcast, uh, passed away. Yeah. It's yeah. quite unfortunate. Absolutely. Passed away of cancer at 45 years old. Um, very sad loss. Um, and we absolutely loved her work in, on uh, Star Trek Picard. And uh, having recently replayed uh, The Last of Us game, uh, her, her voice is echoing in my ears. It's a really sad loss. I know she leaves behind uh, some very young members of her family as well. It's a, it's a really sad announcement to, to hear that she's been battling cancer for the last two years and uh, lost her battle this week. Uh, especially the timing. Just in it, just when so many people are being introduced to her work via mm-hmm. the game, because we know the, some of the sales in the game have gone up like three hundred percent, massive, yeah. um, huge yeah. percentage. So people are being introduced to her body of work, and ahead of season three of Picard, mm-hmm. where people will be probably doing catch ups as well on season two of Picard. Yeah. So just death is never a good time, yeah. but it's even worse when it's really at a time where people are really kind of shining at the top of their game. Um, so sad loss. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our thoughts go out to her family. Yes. Now shifting that to some other, some good news. Mm-hmm. Um, season two of the last of us 
confirmed yes. two episodes in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely massive. And, and it's interesting that the, uh, lots of interviews with Bella Ramsey uh, where they were talking about um, whether there would be a season two. And they were saying, you know, the, the more people watch the show, the more likely we'll get a season two. And every single week so far, the ratings have gone up for every episode. I think another seven or eight percent jump uh, week on week for live watches of these episodes. So it's absolutely a success. Uh, and I'm fully convinced it was actually only confirmed in the last week uh, to all the creators behind the show and all the cast behind the show that there will be a second season of The Last of Us. Uh, they're talking about ideas. They're saying that they obviously will still follow the uh, the second game, The Last of Us Part yeah. 2. Uh, that will be the template that they'll use. But it's possible, given that that game is significantly larger than the first game, that it would take uh, a season or two. Um, so they may split that second game into two seasons if they, if they get that renewal, of course. Um, but there's lots of story there to tell in the second game. So yeah. um, so I'm really excited for it. If this creative team can pull off episodes of season two like they've done with uh, with season one, they're in uh, good hands once again. Yeah, I, they, they, I, I think the only part here is that we're going to, it's not going to be next year. Like we're, we're talking at minimum probably two years plus mm-hmm. just with current schedules of some of these top of the range cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as well as, as you said, it was, it looks like it was somewhat just confirmed, yeah. uh, for a lot of these guys. So the writing process alone of trying to break this story of the mm-hmm. second game and add in some new flavor that we, we, that we didn't know that they were fully adapting in and kind of expanding in places they didn't expand to in the game. Yeah. Really understanding that is going to take time. So exactly. for me, it's a, Take as long as you need. If I'm going to get content like this, mm-hmm. I'm like, take two years, three years, and then come back to me. You're good. 100%. 100%. And, my, and my, my one big ask as a fan so far is that Bella Ramsey stays on board. And there is a time jump between uh, The Last of Us Part 1 and Part 2, which would mean that Bella Ramsey would have to uh, be a bit older, um, which is good. Um, yeah. the, you know, that they've been acting in the show. Uh, I think they're, they, they were on the set probably a year and a half ago. So, a uh, couple more years, um, in the, in the, uh, in the pipeline, uh, getting the show good to go and have Bella Ramsey on board, um, in the same role. It would be great. I'd love to yeah. see that, uh, and see, and see them, uh, as a much older actor in the next season. Yep. And I'm sure everyone's screaming that they want Pedro Pascal back and he's a busy man. Mm-hmm. So let's see. <laughs> um, with all that said and done, we're mm-hmm. going to move on into our actual total kind of discussion, if you will, of mm-hmm. episode three. But The Last of Us World End pub quiz question three will be up later in this episode. Mm-hmm. You can get involved. We want your answers. We want your involvement. So email your nine answers at the end of the season to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. And for an extra chance to get your hands on the goodies of The Last of Us Part 1 on the PS5 or... PC, rate us on Apple Podcasts and send us an email with your details just showing us that you've rated us and you've left a review. We'd be much appreciated as your extra chance to get in on the World End pub quiz for this season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, good prize there. Uh, last was part one a remake. Um, I know it looks fantastic and plays really well on PlayStation 5 or the PC. If you don't have a PlayStation 5 or a PC, we will... Uh, decide on an alternate uh prize for you for the yeah for the pub quiz uh of course at the end of the season but uh i hope uh you want to play the game uh, and i hope yes. you i hope this this show encourages you to so uh so get your entries in as chris said to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com 
Yes, and we will not be getting you a PS5 or a PC to play nope. it on. <laughs> Just not. caveat noted there, the legal <laughs> the legal eagle in my head from watching all those Daredevil episodes went, ah, mm-hmm. wait, terms and conditions apply. But with all that said and done, let's get into the goodness that is this episode. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us by popping over to the website TV Podcast Industries and kind of sending us all your feedback, which we discuss at the end of every episode, mm-hmm. just by sending us your thoughts to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can also head on over to Facebook to our groups at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries, where we have a spoiler post each and every week where you can leave us your thoughts on what you thought of that episode. Mm-hmm. Derek, do you want to tell us who gave us what with the episode details for this one? Yes, this show, of course, is based on the PlayStation game, written by Neil Druckmann, directed by Bruce Straley, from game publisher Naughty Dog. Uh, The show is written and executive produced by Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann, and this episode was written by Craig Mason. The episode, though, was directed by Peter Hoare, who we've mentioned many, many times. Uh, Peter has worked on a number of the shows that we've covered, directed three episodes of Netflix's Daredevil, two episodes of The Umbrella Academy, and one of the best TV shows I've ever watched. He directed every single episode of It's a Sin for HBO and Channel 4. Uh, A really, really good director. Uh, Delighted that he's been able to come on board for this show. Yeah, 100%. We Every time we bring up It's a Sin, and every time I say mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it, every time I have to keep going, I still have to watch it. You better, man. But you I better. know, I know. It's literally <laughs> on that queue, and unfortunately, his other work gets in the way of his previous work. <laughs> it's his own fault. So he's he too busy for you to watch the new show. Exactly. That's it, right? If okay. he stopped working or slowed down, <laughs> it would be all good. After this episode, I don't think Peter Hoare will be uh, will be slowing down working anytime soon. No, not at all. <laughs> But that's enough about Peter. Do you want to tell everyone what he gave us along with Craig in this episode synopsis? Sure. On the road, Joel mourns the loss of his partner Tess and her sacrifice. His relationship with Ellie gets more complicated as she believes he blames her for Tess's death, but insists that they both made their own choices. As they continue towards Bill and Frank's house, Ellie learns how quickly the world fell apart and the cause of the fungal outbreak that led to it. Back in 2003, days after the outbreak, a paranoid anti-government survivalist called Bill ignores a federal order to leave his home. While he is unaware that the other residents of his town were murdered by Frederick to prevent the outbreak, he settles into his new life, protecting his home and living a self-sufficient but solitary life in the estate. Bill's life is interrupted one day four years later, when another survivor, Frank, stumbles into one of Bill's traps. Despite his rough demeanour, Bill falls for Frank and they move in together. As time moves on, Frank encourages Bill to reach out and make some friends. He invites Tess and Joel to visit and work with them. While Frank works out the musical warning system with Tess, Joel warns Bill that raiders will come to loot everything they have. It takes three more years for Joel's prediction to come true when an organised group attacks the couple's home. Bill's defences stand up to the test, but he is shot in the attack. As he thinks he's dying, he tells Frank to reach out to Joel for protection. Bill survives the gunshot, but ten years later, Frank's health has deteriorated and he decides he wants one last good day. He marries Bill and they have another beautiful meal together before Bill assists him in ending his life. But Bill also chooses to end his own life. He's old, satisfied, and Frank was his purpose. They pass away in each other's arms and in their own bed. Back in the present day, Joel and Ellie arrive and find Bill's note explaining he's leaving everything to Joel, including all his weapons and a fully working car. Despite his refusal to allow her to be armed, Ellie finds and keeps Frank's gun and the duo set off for Joel's brother Tommy. He's a former Firefly and Joel hopes he has connections to get Ellie to their Firefly hospital where they will examine her resistance to the outbreak. 
But let's get into how broken my heart is when we get into our kind of main discussion on this kind of episode. Mm-hmm. Now, usually we would break it into kind of three points uh, as there's three of us usually. But today you're getting two, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. That is because just there's two of us, essentially. Absolutely. I My John impression is, not, is about as good as my singing. And for any of our long-term <laughs> listeners, know they know what that means. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, John unfortunately isn't here. I I, I was joking earlier on. Uh, his mom's come to visit, so uh, so he's unable to uh, to join us for the podcast. Uh, and this is an episode I know he absolutely adored. He really really enjoyed. Just like myself and Chris uh, have already mentioned, it's uh, it's just one of those episodes that that is really affecting. And I suppose. Um, it's particularly affecting for uh, a couple like myself and John. You know, we're both middle-aged gay men who were in in a, in a partnership, and this show truly speaks to both of us. Um, it, it's one of those episodes that you just don't think you're going to see on TV. Talk about representation, huh? I'm a gamer. I've played The Last of Us five times. I'm a massive fan of post post apocalyptic TV shows. I'm a middle aged gay man in a relationship with a with a, a guy for 19 years. So, um, hey, like. Uh, could you have written it any closer to uh, to something that I'd watch? Uh, <laughs> the the only thing they could have done if they had have made it that Bill can't grow facial hair, like that would be then you. It's you. <laughs> if there they, you go. If he's yeah. like, I just really wanted to grow a beard, but I couldn't. <laughs> or cross over with the MCU and have uh, have Nick Fury uh, drop in. <laughs> Give him an eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let, let's get let's get into it. Mm-hmm. I think because I I want to spend most of the time with on Frank and Bill. Mm-hmm. So there there is another storyline here, um, which I'll take as kind of my main point mm-hmm. for this, which is the kind of Joel and Ali, the the growth of their relationship, but the growth of their relationship via the 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 the, the surroundings of the 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 the, the narrative ship that is Frank and Bill. So mm-hmm. like. We, we get that opening 10 miles west of Boston and it's Joel building that Karn for Tess. Mm. So like the last, like 10 miles has probably taken them what, about a day, two days nearly to kind yeah. of trek this, uh, yeah. quietly as well. So they, they, they're working through a lot of the emotional backstory that is kind of what has happened. And I, I think that's kind of best with. You see that the growls between the two of them, the silence that like you cut the tension and yeah. you do get that line from Ellie, which is don't blame me for a choice you made. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is, I, I love that moment when, when Joel's saying, I don't want any of your apologies. She's like, I wasn't going to apologize to you. That was your choice. You wanted a battery. I was the cost. That's why you chose to come here. Not my fault. Yeah. And like that's again showing. Somewhat the, the kind of tenacity that is Ali. Like, and again, mm-hmm. like she's, we even see slightly more of it. Like she's, she's a, she's a, a, a young child of the, this apocalypse. So like when, when the, in the basin where the runner is trapped under the rubbles, the infected, like she's so curious. She's not, she's not as scared. She slowly cuts it with the knife mm. and then. And then ceremoniously executes the the runner, the infected, um, showing her detachment almost, and or detachment and curiosity. I would also yeah, say yeah. Like remember, she is pretty sheltered. Has has been yeah. in the the Fedra school uh, up until around now, um, but she hasn't seen uh, these monsters up close. And I, 
this is definitely the first killing that that Ellie's done on screen. We haven't yeah. seen her kill any any other uh, any other infected before. So that I do think that's a really interesting one where she she cuts it open, sees the cordyceps inside, and realizes that it's not feeling any pain. She asked that question to Joel last episode. Is it difficult to kill these knowing that they were human in the past? And then she pretty brutally stabs it, um, mm-hmm. killing it. So um, it seems like she's almost convincing herself this doesn't feel pain. It's not a human anymore. And then kills it. It's almost yeah. that what it came across as. No, I, I agree on that. I think the, the the aspects that we consistently see is she is she's she she acts as a kind of a narrative filter for a lot of this world. Mm. Um, in that she's the viewer. Yeah. She can, you can, through her questions, through her actions, we as a viewer learn more about the world because she's asking like about the plane, for example, mm-hmm. when she's walking further, she's like, Oh my God, I can't believe, did you get in that? Were you in the sky? And <laughs> like, Joel is very gross, like well, a time or two. I did it once. Like again, yeah. taking the step back that this, apocalypse started in 2003 mm-hmm. like so anything since then there haven't been planes since then there hasn't been it's anyone maybe flew once or twice back then it's not it was not accessible you didn't have the Ryanair or EasyJet or kind of spirit airlines of the day uh, you as did, much Chris. as not much that as long much. ago <laughs> I do think it's actually quite interesting because 9-11 happened in 2001 a couple of years just before the end of the world in in this in this uh, story so i i kind of see there's a little bit of a of an ill feeling towards plane travel i suppose yeah. uh, i'm sure there's this that the, that effect is still going on there um i like that joel points out you know he definitely didn't like flying he was uh, occasionally stuck in the middle seat and having to pay 13 dollars for a sandwich you know that's the the memories he has of being on a plane you know uh so i i do like that conversation and yeah i uh, you know ellie being totally obsessed with the idea that someone could actually be flying in the air. Like that's something that she's never experienced in her entire life, you know, and, and Joel's response of, well, they flew in the air as well. And look what happened to them is is pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal way to shut down the conversation. (laughs) And I think that's a fun one. Like that's Mm -hmm. not a fun one, but it's an interesting bit as well. Cause again, everything is tainted from the before time. Yeah. Because a lot of it was taken down. We learn. Within two days, yeah. really, like the most of the US was destroyed and quarantine zones were sprung up. Mm-hmm. And then we get potentially the most shocking transition I've seen in a long time. We get that the, Joel wants to walk a different direction mm-hmm. um, because he wants to avoid something. I was expecting like a, a, a horde of runners and right. infected and stuff, and instead you get a mass grave. Mm. Yeah, and you get the brutal de- description. And again, I mean brutal in the the the, the sense that he very much is matter of fact, mm-hmm. Joel. In that, yeah, the quarantine zones were full. This is where they put them because you can't get infected if you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. and then you get that transition. This is the bit that the one of the first one where I knew this was going to be a slightly different episode mm-hmm. because you get a baby's blanket yeah, and a small skull beside a big skull 
and it fades to that blanket wrapped around a mother and child. Mm-hmm. And now we know their fate. Yeah. You're like, oh my God. And I thought it was going to be the, the central premise of this episode mm. was going to be, you know what? Like we're going to talk about how they controlled quote unquote the kind of infection within the US or mm-hmm. in the world in this one, not just the US, but they, they killed, they basically mass killed people in order to survive. Yeah. And we don't get that. Yeah. It was used as a transition, a narrative transition. And it's, that sounds like it, I, I'm kind of saying this to plural. No, that is just some of the most clever use of story to take us from essentially 2023 mm-hmm. back to 2003 in a way that automatically anchors you in a an emotional state yeah an emotional yeah, state absolutely. of shock and awe yeah yeah it's just it's just a brutality of what's going on you know fedra um we've seen them in the world and we've seen how willing they are to kill people um very quickly and it yeah. looks like that was something that was instilled in them right from the start. You know, as Joel said, the world fell in two days. And that scene in the past, this this killing of the entire town, effectively, um, would only have been a few days afterwards. It's only within a week of the initial outbreak that this is happening. And they're already that brutal where they're going, oh, well, most of these people probably aren't affected. But since the um, cordyceps transfers itself to other people really quickly that's how it is taking over the world if we kill them then there's nothing to transfer to um what a brutal moment but uh but yeah you're right it is an amazing transition really uh really kind of sets the scene for what the world is up against another barrier another another um really severe consequence for living in this brutal world after the outbreak yeah now it's not all doom and gloom so most of this episode is doom and gloom but um that's not true. No, I would I wouldn't agree. Well, no, sorry. Okay. <laughs> that that's 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 I'm being facetious here, but the, a lot of this episode is is emotional, mm-hmm. put it that way. Uh and from a start where we see such brutality, we get to the end. I'm going to stay focused just solely in this discussion point on Joel and Ellie. We okay. get to the end of this episode. We get all the way back to 2023. Mm. And you get Basically, Joel being given his his mission in life, mm. the reason he is put there, his purpose kind of being given to him by Bill. Yeah. Uh, and it makes it, and it's such a powerful way because it echoes from the previous story that's been told throughout this episode Yeah, to him essentially kind of understanding what he has to do and why he has to do it. He still does it in his very gruff Joel way. <laughs> and the delivery by Pedro Pascal yeah. as he storms out after getting the letter mm-hmm. and comes back in and makes these decisions. Yeah. You can understand now why mm-hmm. it's to- like why this man is putting his life at risk for this. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and you know, it is brutal in its own way as well, because it is ripping the plaster off again for the death of Tess. You know, yeah. this is what 
is said in the letter and by the way as a game player absolutely love that it's another really interesting thing from the game given this really important piece of information from a letter that's picked up in a room that's what happens throughout the game you miss half the storyline if you don't read all the letters kind of thing but uh this piece of information that he's given where bill is telling him all of my stuff is yours use it to protect tess and it's a moment of realization that again joel didn't protect tess but bill saying i found the one person to protect and save and love you should do the same thing and Joel's transferring that over to Ellie now. So um, it's a really great moment. Really, really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. And it ends mm-hmm. on a, I would argue this end, this episode ends on a positive high note. They have the car. Mm-hmm. They're in the truck. They're going to Tommy. Tommy's alive. Well, we think. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, and we're off to Tommy because Tommy mm-hmm. is an ex-Firefly. He can potentially figure out how to get Ellie to them doctors and figure out what's going on. Yeah, you get the yeah. ground rules and you get that just lovely car scene where mm-hmm. she doesn't even know what a seatbelt is. Absolutely. Love that. And I was, it was your so cute. And she's kind of going, what the heck are you talking about? Yeah, this looks like a spaceship, man. <laughs> yep. And it's like an old Chevy kind of pickup. Mm-hmm. So it's still got like, it's still got a tape player. Yeah. And she's like, it's so like futuristic. You're like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would be pretty much action. exactly the car for the game as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love love that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great little moment, and again, just get a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, Ellie sass as well, or Ellie Ellie fun enjoyment in the outside world. Actually, in the, in this case, you know, this this idea that she hasn't been out of ten, no swimming pools, no it was was uh, what happened before, and now she's looking at things like planes and cars and wondering what this world was even like, you know, I love that. It's like she's been dropped from an alien planet onto Earth, you know. Um, But you say that it ended with that positive note, but there's another thing that we do need to talk about. Ellie's got a gun um, (laughs) at the end of this episode. We have her throughout the last couple of episodes going, you know, I'm I'm competent. I can can carry a gun. Um, And here she finds Frank's gun and uh, and sticks it in her, hides it in her bag. This could play out one or two ways. Joel seems to be a pretty gruff kind of person this could be a lot of anger from him or we see how competent ellie can be um and i i'm hoping we're going to see the competence of ellie coming up with uh with a firearm so uh yeah i'm sure she won't be great to begin with <laughs> but they're you know at close quarters i'd say even first time using a gun uh she may be able to save joel yeah i i look, they are narratively building this up in like signposts that this will play an important part. Mm-hmm. I can probably tell you, and again, I am past where I ever got in the game. I never got to yeah. Bill. They're signposting that she's going to pull the gun on someone. Uh-huh. Like, it's going to be that she saves him, or she uses it too early, or she pulls it on someone and gets him into deeper trouble. It's, mm-hmm. it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. It's a bit of a cliche. It's a bit of a trope and how they're doing it. But tying back to where that gun came from, mm-hmm. oh, mwah. As soon as yeah. you enter that drawer, I was like, yeah, nice. you know what? That was just brilliant because we saw that last time that gun was used. Well, the last time we saw that gun being used, we know why it was used. Mm-hmm. Uh, just overall fantastic. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. Hopefully she doesn't uh, doesn't unfortunately kill herself accidentally and uh, <laughs> end the show in episode Surprise, six. Surprise, no season Oops. two. <laughs> I've never used a gun before. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Um, she she loses a foot or toe. Mm. Yeah, that could yeah. be it. That could be it. Um, so that's really it from for mine. Anything you mm-hmm. want to talk about on Jordan Ali, or are we kind of covered? 
pre- pretty covered. Um, again, just a little uh, nice game touch of uh, of Ellie finding the gun in a drawer. Um, the amount of guns and revolvers I found in drawers throughout uh, my runtime on uh, on The Last of Us uh, <laughs> is, is uncountable. That's where you find all your weapons. Basically, uh, they only usually have two or three bullets though. Uh, but um, I, I do like that. Um, no, I, I, I liked their conversation in um, when they were searching for some the stash that Joel had left behind. I liked I liked the idea that Ellie's realizing how much of a planner Joel is. The idea that he yeah. would leave something for years to be picked up on a journey that he may never take again because he's you know he's he's planned for this. He knows that there are routes that he may uh, that he may have to take again and may be low on supplies. You know, I thought that was really good. Um, very interesting that uh, that she finds some tampax for herself. Like you know, the idea that Joel has said this place has been picked clean. There's nothing of use here, and Ellie's found some tampax for herself, which is you know probably very very few and far between in uh, twenty years after the apocalypse. So uh, how how delighted she is that that she's found something uh, of use in this place as well, uh, even though she had to uh, had to kill an infected for it. I, I, I know parts of that are going to come up because, again, she's a young woman mm-hmm. traveling with uh, a an older gentleman who, unfortunately, didn't have to deal with that with his kid. Yeah. Um, his daughter died. So there's going to be some, like, I like I don't know, but, like, in, in the usual trope, you'd have Ellie getting her first period mm-hmm. midway through a kind of, or during a, a lull period as they travel across the country, yeah. and Joel having to deal with it mm-hmm. uh, and learn learn deep down inside what it means to be a man about <laughs> this type of thing, like to be a real father, yeah, yeah, to be a real father, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they do that. I don't think they are. I don't think they, that's. I think the Tampax is just literally it was a way for us to to kind of both get to the the. To the infected scene, mm. but also he doesn't think of that as important. So yeah. she's able to throw the pick clean, all right, and yeah. it back at him again, showing that level of sass back is fun. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think it's the first time it's ever been thought about in uh, in a post apocalypse. I don't think I've ever seen it uh, shown in any other show or movie uh, about the post apocalypse. So well done, lads. Uh, excellent stuff. Let's let's move on to the other major point about the episode. Um, Frank and Bill in Bill's Town, which is the name of the town given uh, in the game to uh, to this area. So uh, we don't really find out the name of uh, of this uh, of this town in the show, right? Um, it is just Bill's Town, right? Yeah, um, yeah, because he's the one that decided to be a, uh, a, a I suppose a survivalist, as he calls himself, a prepper, as most other people would call him. Um, who, as I love, I love that opening scene. I love that idea that he's in this sub-basement, not even in his own basement, this bunker that he's built for himself and can watch out what's going on in the town. He doesn't trust the government, never has, so he's definitely not going to be obeying their order to take him out uh, of his home, which is fully prepared uh, for any kind of attack, any kind of um, challenge that he may face in the future. And here he is, hunkered down. And of course, we know that he made the right choice because everybody else in that town is killed, as you mentioned, Chris. Yeah. That there's all those people that went away, uh, or at least a lot of them. Let's say we don't know for <laughs> definite, um, but a lot of the people have been uh, have been murdered. So if, if Bill was on that bus, his story ended right there. So yeah. uh, what's the old adage? Um, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean I'm wrong. Yeah. So and that's kind of Bill's whole concept. He's paranoid about the government, and this particular instance, he's right. He was <laughs> absolutely right to be. 
we played it at the top of this episode. He was like, you think the world's run by Nazis? It is run by Nazis. Mm-hmm. Well, now it is, but not back then. But it wasn't back then. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's, that, that would make sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and he, I, I loved the, the joke that he was like, uh, kind of, you're one of these doomsday guys. And he's like, mm-hmm. a survivalist. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I love that conversation because I'm just like, you now... If in real life we think of these people, you're like, oh my god, they've like the bunker and like mm-hmm. they, they like that everyone's coming to get me. And you see certain iconography chosen to show who Bill is. So like, mm-hmm. don't tread on me. Yeah. Uh, certain certain things are there to very much tell you who the type of person they are setting up Bill to be, the, yeah. the, to who you are supposed to think Bill is. Absolutely. Um, he is that person, but he's so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is also a kindly reminder to people like myself, which when you see the these, you're like, oh, the, those crazy, silly people, those silly, <laughs> silly people. And you're like, oh, yeah, but they're probably, he's that guy who's going to have a generator when when the, the zombies come. He's the guy that's prepared, and I'm not. Yes, so. absolutely. But he most likely wouldn't let you into his home. Uh, oh, no, he should be. He 100% should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's 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 one of those things. Yeah, you know, I, I I often refer to this quote where um, a, a podcaster that I that I was listening to was talking about the idea that obviously sexuality is is um, inherent in everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be gay. You can be any, a member of the LGBTQ community. You can be you can be straight. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. That's your sexuality. So that means we have to accept that some a holes are members of the LGBTQ plus community. They're not. Not everybody in the community is exactly the same. And there are people like Bill out there yep. who are also gay. It's it's n- nothing to do with their beliefs or how they present outwardly. Um, and that's what I really like about this story. This is absolutely in keeping with the character in the game. He is so much of an a-hole that throughout your time, the time that you spend with him, Ellie is just throwing her fingers up at him the whole time because she doesn't like this guy. Um, so that that's what I really like. They did take that characteristic from him. He's not the kind of guy I would want to spend any time with at all, um, unless I was Frank or unless you know Frank had convinced him to, to make me a nice meal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he does look like a good chef, then. The Beaujolais. Mm-hmm. He knows how to pair the wine with the rabbit. Yeah. I yep. certainly didn't know that. I don't eat rabbit that often, to be honest. But uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have known to pair uh, a pair rabbit and Beaujolais, though. No. <laughs> so I, I, I'm like, I wouldn't have picked I, up on that side. I would have got a good red Cabernet Sauvignon. Maybe I could probably <laughs> could pick the red, the type right. of red. I'm like, no, give me a good, good old Pinot Grigio. Mwah. Right, yeah, okay, I'm fine. Is that- red goes at rabbit. Is, yes, is about exactly. as far as you go. <laughs> good right. stuff. But we do get to meet uh, Frank, and, and and they they have this situation. I was really impressed with the timeline that we have here. Um, how they're jumping through the years. You know, there's a, there's a, a four year gap between the initial outbreak. And when Frank falls into that pit at Bill's home, like it's four years that he's on his own and he doesn't seem, he seems probably lonely. He's very solitary, but he's always been a solitary person. He's always seems to have cut himself off from the rest of the world, um, which is inherent to his character. But the fact that four full years have gone by before he's seemingly interacted with another human, he's probably watched the murder of uh, the infected on his TV screen 
as you see him do when he's eating his dinner, um, which I think is a, a very, very cool <laughs> uh, moment when, we, when you see one of the uh, infected trip, one of his traps, and it blows his head off and, and uh, you get that kind of Ron Swanson moment, uh, which is a character that um, that Nick Offerman played before, that kind of moment of it never gets old uh, when you're watching them die, yeah. you know. Uh, very like Hannibal-esque that. as well. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah just sitting there with a really good steak, with some uh-huh. mashed potatoes, some red wine while you're watching people or things die. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's that there's a, there's that moment when you see Frank appealing to his humanity, saying, "You know, uh, I'm just hungry. I need I need some food." Um, and they have that conversation between the two of them. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of characters you would meet in any kind of post apocalypse that you just don't know how it's going to play out between them, whether he's going to kill Frank, whether he's going to let Frank go, whether uh, he is going to bring him in or whether he brings him in and Frank brings in another army behind him who've been waiting to, for their way into this place or something like that. Is that how the story is going to play out? You know? Um, so I was, I, I'm very happy that they did that. They did it this way. You, you don't know anything about these characters from the game. No, Chris, so, I no. Uh, so I was a hundred percent heat when the shower scene kind of first happens. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, so he's going to go and let people... And then the food happened. I was like, okay, now he's going to go and let the, open up. He's going to mm. click on the thing or get the code. And that night, everyone's going to come in. Right. And it just consistently didn't happen. I'm like, wait, maybe it's not this story. Yeah, maybe Because that's what you expect. Time. Like, you, yeah. we're, we're taught in all of post-apocalyptic, there's always that one person who's the mm. rat that brings in the, the raiders. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. And instead, you get a very different character here with Frank. And, and you know, I have to say, Murray Bartlett is fantastic in this role. Uh, Nick Offerman's great. He's he's really good. He's what I've come to expect. Um, he's a really dependable actor. You know, uh, if, you've, if you've seen his work on Devs, he was fantastic in that. It's a very dramatic show, a uh, very stark kind of show. Um, and he's a man who's experienced loss in that as well. Really, really good. Uh, I I would say that's probably the reason why he would be picked for a role like this in in, uh, in the Last of Us. But Murray Bartlett just has just lots of love in him, and you can you can feel it about him. You know, he was he was in the first season of The White Lotus. If you've if you've seen that, he's an absolute shining star, and that played uh, played the character Armand uh, in season one. Highly recommend watching that, Chris. Yeah. I mean, six episodes. Oh, I've done it. I've done uh, it. Oh, you've seen it. You've, you've yeah. seen Armand. So one uh, and two. Yeah, excellent character. So, uh, so I was really happy that he was coming on board for uh, for this show. Yeah, he got jacked though. He got jacked in between the <laughs> the, the White Lotus and this. He got jacked, and I found out why because I was looking at him and uh-huh. I was like, "Why? Where did those? Where did that bite like muscles body come from?" Uh-huh. So he's in Chippendales now, mm-hmm. which what is on uh, yes. Star in Disney Plus uh, mm-hmm. on Hulu over in the US. Mm-hmm. But Chippendales, and that's where he got jacked from like he got mm-hmm. muscly for that role apparently and kind of cut yeah. um and it just played out really on this because mm-hmm. i was just like that yeah you're gonna like you're gonna look after yourself if you have to run from things mm-hmm. that's why there's not that many fat people in the apocalypse <laughs> no. you no. gotta be healthy you, that cardio is your best workout there you go zombie land i thought yeah. you're I, I thought that's where you're going Chris. <laughs> yeah and, and there's definitely that moment you know he, he can tell pretty quickly that uh, there's a little extra glance from Bill um, that he can tell. But I may not have picked up on the Beaujolais Rabbit uh, connection, but I definitely picked up on the song. Um, this this uh, song that Frank plays on the piano, Linda Rodstad, long, long time, the name of the episode, you know, there's so much weight to that song 
when Bill sits down and plays his version of it after Frank butchers it. <laughs> this is bad piano playing and him not being able to sing the lyrics properly. But there's so much weight in it that you can you can feel that Bill has the unrequited love that is talked about in the song, that that idea that he's in love with someone that he could never, ever possibly meet. The question that Frank asks of Bill, who's the girl, it's totally rhetorical. At that stage, he already knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows that, there's, uh, that, that they're the same. And finding each other post-apocalypse effectively is as unlikely as... It's the most unlikely thing in the world. Um and I, I like that they have the conversation before anything happens, the conversation between the two of them when they're in bed and Frank saying to him, I'm not doing this for a meal. If this happens, I'm here for a while, right? Are you okay with that? This is not going to be me having sex with you for dinner. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, this is the start of a relationship. I see who you are. And then it cuts to three years later, effectively. And that was the best cut. Like... Mm-hmm. Like, and then, like, like, because it does, then you get to, I want friends. I like the jump cuts of a kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. You could have gone for a really boring montage mm-hmm. where they kind of they bicker and then they paint the town together and then they're yeah. like doing DIY and there's more glancing <laughs> looks and then they fall in yeah. love and it's like that that terrible eighties montage. Mm-hmm. But they didn't need to because we, he says those words. I'm here for a while and he. Jump cut then three years later and they're having an argument about essentially wanting more people Mm -hmm. to talk to. Yeah. And it's Frank. It's Frank talking about opening up the world more for more for Bill. You know, there's even just that quick moment when he's sitting down to dinner and or sitting down waiting for Bill to deliver dinner. And he walks over to the mantelpiece, puts his finger across it and sees the dust there. And he knows who Bill is. This is a guy that is all about the protection, all about keeping himself safe, all about keeping his home safe and keeping himself well-fed, of course, and, and getting uh, getting lots of bottles of wine for himself. But he's not about outward appearance. And Frank is about that. Frank is the one that will take care of making sure the rest of the world looks good. I love that line from him as well in, in that moment when they're having the argument where, it's, where he's saying, taking care of things is how we show our love. Yeah. for the rest of the world. I thought that was a, a really good moment. Yeah. For me, one of the kind of the, the the best parts of that is that we all are aware of some people that might be like that, where some people are so focused on staying alive, they forget to live. Mm-hmm. And that so it comes up in multiple kind of these post-apocalyptic kind of shows or yeah. films or things. There's okay. always that one character that is so focused or hell-bent that they they miss the life that they're supposed to be having and i think absolutely like that it comes up quite a lot as i said but for here for me it's it wasn't done in such a stereotypical way absolutely like it's done in a very natural way it's a fight around i want to paint the fence Mm -hmm. and i want to do the furniture store up yeah and you're like but why? Because I want to. I exactly. want it to look pretty. And you're like, yeah, okay, makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just in post-apocalyptic worlds, Chris. You've also been over to my house and seen the dust. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While I edit podcasts. Uh, yes, exactly. Know. The point is, and, and this was made by the by the showrunners, by uh, by Craig Mason, who wrote, who wrote the episode. The point is really that both of these types of people are required. Okay, they're a bit extreme. 
um, in in this world, obviously. But both of these types of people are needed. Bill is needed for the protection, for all of the thought that he puts into preparing for the rest of the world and for taking care of Frank. And Frank is important to make sure that Bill stops and looks around every once in a while and, and takes in the love that's there, takes in the life that he has to live as well. So, um, so I, I totally see that. I think that's, uh, they're, they're a good counterpoint for each other, but it is great falling into that argument between the two of them after four years together or three years together at this point. I think that's, uh, it, it's a great other cut in the episode as well. And then we get the cut to lunch. Yeah, absolutely. We get to see Joel and Tess in a very different situation, uh, coming over and, and selling themselves for, uh, for, um, as, as help to, uh, to Bill and Frank. And again, another thing that, that, as you say, in the tropes of post-apocalyptic storytelling, reaching out and trusting someone usually ends off badly. Yeah. So whereas here, they make friends, sort of, um, and they they make this relationship between the two of them. We hear them setting up the code um, at that point that we heard in the first episode, the, uh, the code of 60s, 70s and 80s music and what they mean so uh, so they can communicate with each other and nobody else can interfere with their with their codes so um that's a really nice touch but yeah. also absolutely love bill sitting there throughout this lunch with uh, with Joel and Tess with gun in hand uh, and cocking it and uncocking it yeah. <laughs> uh, as the as the lunch goes on and Joel pretty sternly telling him to get the gun off him like yeah, yeah. That, that that for me was the ultimate which is like i know i i'm like you they're like mm-hmm. each other. I'm like you. And very much that discussion going into further of like Joel pointing out instantaneously. Mm-hmm. It's like that you've got about another year left on that, that wiring, that fence. Yeah. And we don't even get an answer on it, but we do get then the, the snap cut to that fence later mm-hmm. and it's been made up. And it there looks is a lot better, doesn't it? <laughs> it looks a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the, 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 you start to see that the, there's a discussion point on this whole relationship as well as they're the perfect foil to each other, but they're perfect addition to each other. Mm-hmm. Frank and Bill, like they, they, yeah. they, they're complementary while being opposite, still complementary. Yeah. Um, so we see that they, their life has been enriched mm-hmm. through both this relationship and then this relationship with Joel and Tess where they're able to. They're not. They're probably providing some a, st- a haven, a stop, a stopover mm-hmm. for these for these smugglers, um, but at the same time are reaping the rewards and the benefits. Exactly, exactly. And one of those rewards is fresh strawberries. Yes, <laughs> I love this scene. I love Frank uh, planting strawberries, allowing them to grow. And again, just a nod back to Bill not being conscious of that world that he's not in. The whole plant has grown, and they have a full a full patch of strawberries that he's never yeah. seen before. It was up to Frank to take him on a run to show them where they were because he's able to hide them in places that he's not able to, uh, that he doesn't go to in his own town, effectively. So uh, I really like that. Um, and then that that warning that came from Joel that other people will come and attack um, does play out. We we do have that, and, you know, again, a couple of years later again. But before, before we even get to that, mm. we get perhaps... The one of the greatest lines of this episode mm, okay. in the strawberry patch, mm-hmm. which is kind of, I'm sorry, I'm getting older than you. I was never afraid until you showed up. Mm-hmm. That for me, when you're in a deep, committed, long, long, long term relationship, mm-hmm. you do understand that where <laughs> there is a level of fear about 
making sure that other person is okay, that partner is okay. Yeah. Like just having a partner and you, you're all you care about is their safety. Absolutely. And when you're by yourself, your own soul, your soul care is for yourself. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you add an additional life into that mix, yeah. you, you understand that fear. And I've heard parents say this before as well, mm-hmm. which is like, you haven't felt fear until your kid is sick. Yeah. Like, yeah, I get that as well now. Like there, there is this just beautiful, but it was so. It was so perfectly placed because directly after mm-hmm. we get the Raiders attack. Yeah, absolutely. Just just loved that moment um between Bill and Frank. I think it's um it's that declaration of I'm no longer in control and that scares me. You know, yeah. we we said that that's the thing about Bill, the fundamental about him is that he's a, pre- a prepper, a person that prepares for every situation. He can't prepare for somebody else in his life who makes their own choices and does things yeah. that that he can't control in in a way but he knows that means he loves Frank right yeah. so uh, so he's realized that but yeah the attack on bill 10 um yeah. we find we see all these traps uh, working pretty well um, taking out uh, person after person in this group that's come to attack his 10 um nobody gets in which is which is interesting so nobody actually breaches the walls um but bill does get shot and talk about transitions um you don't really know at this stage again having played the game um by this stage i wasn't sure which way they were going because the story that they were telling was so much more complex and so much more different than what we saw in the game that i was expecting that this could have been the death of bill you know um maybe frank would play the part that bill plays in the game maybe frank would be the one that meets up with joe Linelli. um but i thought that bill was dead there yeah oh 100 percent. yeah they play it so well because when they cut i was like oh this is like a heaven scene this is like a dream then directly after okay we get to drive <laughs> we we got to we got to kind of grow old together mm. And it's just so not what you think. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. I I I've heard the name Bill from again. Yeah, I, I'm a hardcore gamer and just know the storyline of this, and I mm-hmm. understand who the character is. So when I when they shot him, I was like, oh, so okay, so they're going left. Like mm-hmm. this, this is all just nothing on this is going to be the way it was. Mm-hmm. I, and then I was like, okay, I'm I, again. I have no attachment to this character, so I, what do I care? It's just, it was a good story to this point, and it was like, okay, that's a nice, that's a nice way of kind of resetting to the danger of this world. Mm. You're like, here's your love story, and bam, real life happens. Yeah. But then we get the next stage of their mm-hmm. life together, and that for me was so bittersweet. Okay. Yeah. Because they're alive. Mm-hmm. Time has passed. Yeah. But not in the way you think. Yeah. And that's the the bittersweet element to it. Mm. Yeah. It's it, it's a it's such a sad realization that um, Frank is the one that's gotten really yeah. badly sick. Um, that he's MS? the one is now. Uh, yeah, potentially. There's, they're yeah. not. They're not one hundred percent confirming uh, what it is. Even the showrunners aren't a hundred percent confirming what it is. But uh, definitely a debilitating disease and something that can't be couldn't have been cured even yes. in two thousand and three, um, before the outbreak. So how could 
it possibly be cured now. Um, but I think it just plays on the line you said as well. You know, it's the apology from Bill that he's getting, that he's gotten older than Frank. And then we have this time jump towards, uh, towards the end up to, up to 2023 now. And it's Frank is the one that's in the chair and Frank is the one that has to be helped everywhere, has to be uh, given his, his tablets uh, each day by Bill because he may forget to take them. Um, and has to be put to bed by Bill on his own, you know, it's, that's, he's the one that's being helped. Um, probably suits Bill quite well in a way, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, he knows obviously it's much worse from a, from a health point of view for Frank, but he's always been there to be the one to protect him and take care of everything for him. So Bill's probably okay with this, uh, get that kind of feeling. But when, Frank decides that he wants to have one last good day because days are getting progressively worse. Massively emotional moment. Ah, oh, I I can pinpoint mm. the moment my heart broke. Yeah. So I watched this with my my wife on the couch, mm-hmm. and she she was a blubbering mess by this point. Like yeah. Already, was well, as yeah. soon as she said like the, the the where he where they wake up in the bed and mm-hmm. Frank is it's taken me the whole night to get in the chair. Mm-hmm. Like at that point, I knew where it was going. Yeah, but it's the the again the then the transition to the couch and the mm-hmm. discussion, and that's where you fully understand the 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 the, the level of realism in this writing that mm-hmm. that that they didn't just phone it in. This is like a, this is a true, and I'd argue Shakespearean level love story. It's a tragedy. It's a, a love story wrapped in a tragedy or a tragedy wrapped in a love story, depending on your perspective, your glass half full, glass half yeah. empty. Like yeah. it's a, it, either way, it's still a love story, a genuine, beautiful love story wrapped in that mm-hmm. because Bill agrees because it makes sense. It is that final day. Yeah. Like, I will give you what you want, what you're asking for. Yeah, yeah. And does. And yeah. you get that montage <laughs> to the, the the perfect day. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's also that Bill will do absolutely anything for Frank. It's not yeah. just it's not just that he agrees with them. It's even if he doesn't agree with them, he'll still do it. Um this is Frank's choice. This is what Frank wants to do, and Bill is there to do whatever Frank wants him yeah. to do because that's what will make frank happy um the decision of bill to also end his own life as well was a bit more of a surprise um again he's an active character in the game who speaks with ellie and joel so uh, and has has a, a part to play that part is literally just finding a battery that's that is his part in the game it's not a massively important one but is very important um for you as a character in the game it would have been pretty terrible in the show but um so you expect that Oh, okay. They're going to take Frank out here. Frank's going to die here, and uh, and then we're going to see Ellie and Joel turn up, and they're going to meet up with Bill, uh, a heartbroken Bill. Yeah, but they don't. No, yeah. This and th- this is really positive for me. Um, yeah. this ending to the show it was a real happy tears kind of moment because they get to go out the way they want to, and who. Does that happen to in the post-apocalyptic genre, let's say? It's hardly anybody gets those moments. Somebody gets ripped away. Somebody gets torn apart. Somebody dies unexpectedly. Tess, for example, sacrifices her life, which we saw uh, last episode. In this episode here, we get two people who've lived two decades 
17 years together, two decades since the outbreak, have grown old. And the line from uh, from Bill of, um, I'm old, I'm satisfied, and you are my purpose, so there's nothing left for me here. I, I think it's just a fantastically written line and so well delivered. Works yeah. so well. Yeah, no, for me like, that was the, the tearing moment. up right here. I know because <laughs> that's that's where when you found uh, someone to spend your life with, that is mm-hmm. a feeling that you're in, which is like my purpose is you, and you are my purpose. And exactly. You getting the choice there is the most important part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and again, like the trope is. The love, the, the partnership, the love, the relationship gets torn apart in the post-apocalyptic world yeah. by a bite, by a fight, by a gunshot, like by a trap, something violent. Mm-hmm. And they completely inverse this. Yeah. They didn't go the violent route. They went for a peaceful transition, allowing, hell, they wrote a letter. They had some final rabbit and a Beaujolais, mm-hmm. and then they opened a window. Same meal as first time, Chris. Yeah, as well. Exactly. Lovely, lovely idea. Uh, also, I, I love the touch that it's the they drink the bottle of Beaujolais. Yeah, and then the one they bring out a second bottle to put the pills in, just so they don't ruin the meal. Almost, yeah. it's Bill saying, "Let's have a last perfect meal, not let me put." pills into your Beaujolais that you'll, that you, and you won't finish my beautiful dinner. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. It's like, let's have one perfect, last perfect moment. Really amazing. And then, yeah. then it's the you cop when Bill downs his glass. Mm-hmm. And then Frank cops. Yeah. And it's like you've taken some too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was in the bottle from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, uh, oh, and then it's just that, like, I did expect, <laughs> this is the terrible, the horror fan, the gruesome, no longer shocked by anything, <laughs> thought we would get one final shot of them oh, right. in bed, and then it fading from them to kind of cuddling on the bed in real life, like <laughs> human, to... Like a few weeks later, yeah, I think we learned that the 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 playlist set off after a while, and yeah, they needed the, so let's say a few weeks, mm-hmm. and then rotting, right? And I was expecting Oof. that transition. That would have been brutal. Exactly. Yeah, it's so ingrained in terms of the 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 shock factor mm-hmm. being like Game of Thrones and right. a lot of the HBO thing. They they play on both top quality writing and dramatic mm-hmm. effects and like narratively beautiful scenes and st- stunning vistas and everything. And yeah. then interspersed with just shocking all gratuitous violence yeah. that is supposed to jar you back to the present or mm-hmm. back into a moment. I was expecting somewhat that there, which is dear viewer, you've had your beautiful love story. Mm-hmm. Now we're bringing you back to the real world where death is a real thing. Yeah, and you're yeah. getting that transit, and I, they didn't. <laughs> I'm they, so they glad they stayed didn't. away from it perfectly because yeah. it just kept it so encapsulated. Although that does put a headline I saw today into a bit more context. They did say today that there is a two-hour cut of this episode that is absolutely heartbreaking, and they couldn't release to the public because it's just too difficult to watch. And I'm wondering if that's what happened in yeah. in the episode. Did they have that view? Um, but I don't think so because the final 
scene that we see of uh, I, I guess of of Bill and Frank in a way is the uh, the curtain moving in their bedroom as the camera ba- pans back which anybody who plays the game that is the tran- that the transition screen before you start uh, playing the game is always this curtain blowing in the wind uh, at a window so that's that's what that uh, final scene is so the reason I am saying all that is because of that scene that they show that final scene with the curtain blowing mm-hmm. I think they just cut before it panged back further because during the edit process they were like we can't show this we can no like, it was just, it's essentially we don't want to it's yeah. better left unsaid sometimes yeah. the the best the stuff is left unsaid yeah and you just or unshown or unseen in this case yeah, yeah. like and i think it, again that choice is yeah you could have gone shock here mm-hmm. just kind of because they have so beautifully built up this relationship and these people and just so emotionally made them resonant with everyone mm-hmm. anyone who watches this will resonate something will resonate whether yeah. you whether you're a bill whether you're a frank mm-hmm. whether you're a tess whether you're a joel hell even some of the kids are gonna go oh cool a gun they're gonna they're gonna be the alley like all the characters here resonate with people and then their emotional levels of maturity are there as well mm-hmm. the sassiness the the break the heartbreak the, the closed offness it's all there yeah so for me one of the the best aspects of this is the representation mm-hmm. again one of the biggest shows in the world currently yeah and they're spending so much time on this mm-hmm. because every voice counts in this we still get the same conversation the same talking points the same it still gets the same vehicle but they gave this so much time to basically breathe this mm-hmm. episode that this is emmy level topics here where yeah. they can for your considerations long long time yeah by uh, craig mason like that's yeah. where i they go they'll I hope go so. for it's some like, of the actors it's what three weeks after the Emmys and unfortunately this episode's released um, so hopefully it'll be a, a show uh, that, that will be remembered next year uh, when it comes around to Emmy times or even better maybe there'll be 10 better shows that had even oh better performances uh, between now and the Emmys but you're absolutely right I, abs- I absolutely love this and and as I said at the start of, of the podcast earlier on you're right representation here is a middle-aged relationship between two gay men um over decades like that is never on screen and i i I saw myself reflected in in some of their arguments and conversations because (laughs) you know it it isn't you have fought over strawberries and painting the house (laughs) a hundred percent chris you've probably been there once or twice for those uh for those arguments as well um but it's one of those things it's not that that fiery arguments that you have as two 20 year old young people that are getting together for the first time you know these are much bigger conversations much more important and much weightier conversations especially in this case in the post-apocalypse when they found each other and well the chances of finding somebody else are pretty low right so you're definitely gonna have to make this relationship work uh, <laughs> as well so you can't just kick them out of your out of your town in bill's case uh, you need to work with them and, and form that long-term relationship and i'm so glad they told the story the way they did and i'm so glad they went out in their own terms as well because it is not the standard trope of uh, of these types of stories get two characters together and have one of them crying at the end because the other one's dead um this is both of them surviving having a great life together there's one attack on their property they defended it and they lived out their life together and chose the way they wanted to go beautiful yeah 
Absolutely. 100%. That does get us to pretty much most of the episode. Mm-hmm. I, I could I could go on for another twenty minutes or more just on yeah. parts of these scenes and why it's so fantastic and just on discussions on every aspect of it. But I think we will we we can wrap it as well because we do have some feedback that we'll want to get to. Mm-hmm. So I will start to close out by asking Derek any notes for this episode. I think we covered it pretty well uh, throughout the episode. I uh, don't think there's any uh, other big notes uh, that I'd call out. Uh, would once again highly recommend going and listen to the um, to the uh, official podcast. Uh, now that you've listened to our thoughts, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to, to Craig Mason and uh, and uh, Neil Druckmann talking to Troy Baker, who hosts the uh, hosts the podcast. It's a really good conversation this week, especially on this emotional episode. Uh, well worth checking out. Yeah. No, 100%. And for me, it's just, I want to know, again, still, what do the 90s music mean? What is that code? <laughs> Backstreet Back by the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. Like, who, what, what is the ultimate terror that fills your heart when you yeah. hear the 90s on the radio in The Last of Us? I, I think if 80s means danger, then those particular choices of music from the 90s means disaster yeah there's another outbreak even though we thought that outbreak was the worst one this one's 10 times worse yeah welcome to covid in the apocalypse <laughs> excellent excellent so derek overall what did you think of the last of us episode three long long time we talked for a long long time uh, yeah. on this podcast but <laughs> i haven't seen an episode of television as good as this um that fit exactly the type of show that i want to watch it was absolutely perfect this is uh, up there with the best shows that we've covered up there with the best episodes of shows that we've covered i absolutely adored this the two main roles in this episode uh when we have with nick offerman and with murray bartlett in the, these two central roles that are only here for this one episode we may see a flashback um with with them in, in the future as we saw with tess in this episode but both of them are such strong performers that it felt like its own mini movie uh in itself um but i also love the joel and ellie scenes and there's nothing to take away from that but i i like that they're able to tell stories from other characters perspective on the show because that's why you make a tv show you're not uh you're not putting a first person uh shot on screen of, of somebody running around with a gun right this is uh this is a wider story about the wider world in this really intense situation i'm so glad they got to tell a really good story in this it's fun given how many people commented on those opening uh scenes of the last two weeks those cold opens that they had where they went oh i hope we spend a bit more time from the moment that the outbreak happens learning how everybody got to the place that they are in 2023 and the showrunners decided to tell that story through frank and bill rather than telling that story through our main antagonists our main protagonists and taking them through or going to another country and seeing how it's how it's playing out in another country they told they decided to tell a small romantic story between frank and bill to tell you how the world went from 2003 to 2023 loved it absolutely brilliant how about yourself chris what's your final thoughts on this episode now i really want to see what jolly old england was like (laughs) (laughs) it's like oi governor come on and just running away from clickers there's not much more i can say to this Mm -hmm. episode like this is some of the best tv i've watched an hour and 15 an hour 12 would change with some of the, 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 the credits and stuff. Um, just fantastic. Mm-hmm. The fact that everything was able to breathe the way it was, the, the, the choice of the, 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 the choices that you've mentioned, but even just the actors portraying them. 
just beautifully delivering the kind of the emotional moments and the gravitas needed for the for these scenes. But like, I do hope this is indicative. Like, mm-hmm. like if the show is peaked at this point, I'm <laughs> fine with that. Like, because it peaked such a high. Mm. But like for me, I think this is probably indicative of what we've got to come for the rest of the season. Like, yeah, zero spoilers for the game, but this is not the only heartbreak you'll uh, yeah. experience over the next few episodes. There's a, there's a couple more major moments to come. Yeah, yeah. and it's probably more just that ch- we'll get those heartbreak, but not in the way you're expecting. Yeah. In and in a proper high level adaptation, and that's what it is. This is an mm-hmm. adaptation because they've taken a point and they've taken a thread and they went just deep on an aspect that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. really, like the, in an area that they could have done, they could have skipped over if they wanted. Yeah. Like because it's just about a battery, but yeah. it's a battery in a car. They could have found it on the road. Mm-hmm. It's fine, but no, they 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 really gave us some emotionally resonant TV. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one one note that I did miss out on, uh, Joel and Ellie end off this episode in their uh, game-accurate costumes. The costumes oh, yeah. that they wear pretty much <laughs> for the entire game. So uh, I love that. I thought that was a nice little touch. That, uh, that's another thing they get from uh, Frank and Bill. They're kind of sorted after coming out of Frank and Bill's house, right? Um, yeah. Hot fully stocked up. Meal. Hot shower, meal, clothes, guns, Toilet car, paper. Toilet paper. Three sorted. whole rolls. Yeah. I was like, amazing. That, that thing should be like gold dust. Uh-huh. Amazing. So with all that said and done, I'm in need of a bit of an emotional drink. So let's pop on over to the pub for our The Last of Us World's End Pub Quiz. Absolutely. Yes. Let's raise a glass of Beaujolais to, uh, to Frank oh, and yeah. Bill. That, mm. That's a better transition. Well done. Yeah. There you that go. works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, our third question in our pub quiz is, which game machine does Ellie find while searching the building with Joel? I thought I'd make it a little bit easier this week. Yeah. Um, I had some really brutal questions, uh, stuff like, which type of tablets uh, does Frank need to take every day? And I thought that was a bit gruesome. Uh, we could have gone, how many men burned alive? Uh, yeah. How many raiders burned alive? <laughs> yeah. So I, I decided to go for a reasonably straightforward one. You'll see that pretty easily in the episode. But uh, add that to the other two questions that we've asked so far. If you want to catch up on any of them, pop on over to tvpodcastindustries.com. The questions are up there uh, on their own um, page. Pop them together. Put the answers into us. Email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with your answers to all nine questions of the World's End pub quiz. And you could be in with the chance of getting your hands on The Last of Us Part 1 for PlayStation 5 or for PC uh, when it's released in March after the show finishes. Uh, you can also add an extra entry to that if you review us on Apple Podcast. All you need to do is just take a picture of that and email us at the same email address. Great stuff. So that question one final time is what game machine does Ellie find while searching the building with Joel? Yes. I was hoping you were. I don't know whether that's a hint, Chris. That could be anything from Mario to right up to now. I thought at least say Melina, but that's no. That's too much. If I if I really want to give it away, I would say no. Anyway, let's move on, ladies and gentlemen, to some feedback. But before we do, we just want to have a quick shout out to all the support we get over on Patreon and 
buy me a coffee. Particularly, this episode was brought to you by our Patreons, including Cosmological. Thank you so much, Cosmological. Absolutely. Thanks so much for your support, Cosmological. And also want to say a big thank you to Tyler Smith, who bought us a coffee this week. Thanks, Tyler. Yes, thank you, Tyler. If you want to be as cool as Cosmological with a cool name, or as cool as Tyler with a cool name, you can go on over to patreon.com slash TV Podcast Industries, where you can support us and help keep the lights on in our podcast studio, much mm-hmm. like... Bill, we have a generator out back that we have to fill with gas. <laughs> yep. So we need to kind of keep those lights running and that podcast machine going. So you can head to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries, or you can keep our editor in coffee, like the generator in gasoline by heading on over to buymecoffee.com slash TVPI. Any support is much welcome. And we thank anyone who can give at this time. Absolutely. But you can also share the podcast because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. Sharing the love. You see, we love sharing the love on TV podcast industries. And thanks so much to all of you who do share the podcast. Uh, really, really helpful uh, when you share it with your wonderful friends. Yes. Let's get on to some Facebook feedback. First up, we have some feedback from Donald Dennis, who says, overheard at my place this evening. Did you get a pizza with mushrooms? Why would you do a thing on Last of Us Night? Which, of course, was exactly the reason I got it. (laughs) Seriously, though, that was another amazing week of this show. What is particularly impressive to me is just how different each and every episode is of The Last of Us. Oh, no, 100%. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Donald. Like, for me, I'm down that even if season two is not, like, the second game, season two is just a 1.5 with all different anthology of different people in the in the world, I uh-huh. would be down for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. John was actually pointing out to me earlier on, there was an interview with Craig Mazin about um, his work on Chernobyl, um, where they were actually saying that almost every episode was a different genre of TV. So you had the disaster movie effectively at the beginning and you, and you ended off with a courtroom drama towards the end, you know. So he's very well suited to moving around through different genres. I think he's doing something similar on The Last of Us here, um, spending time in different ways of looking at this world, which is exactly what you want uh, from this incredibly good show. Yes. Thanks, Donald. Yeah, thank you, Donald. Uh, we have some more feedback as well from Anne Wen Carver Holzenhausen. Mm-hmm. They had this to say, what an incredibly moving and beautiful story. The acting was outstanding and the love story so tenderly told. I also thought it progressed Ali's character in a quick but clear way. Mm -hmm. We saw how she breaks the rules going in the cellar and is gutsy knifing the infected, but then understood the gravity of the situation in Bill's house when Joel told her to stay put. And now, road trip. Mm -hmm. Yes, thanks, Anwen. Yeah, actually, that was one of the best ones where she is... You'd expect that she's up and walking around the house or gone, but she understood very much that this was one of those times where she doesn't kick back or anything. She's still in that chair sitting there waiting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, great stuff, Anwen. Thanks so much for uh, for your message. Uh, Anwen's uh, covering The Lord of the Rings at the moment on her podcast, over for Podcastica, so go check that out. She covered The Rings of Power last year while we were covering it as well, so uh, go check out her podcast on Podcastica. Uh, I think she's doing Two Towers this week. Excellent. So I'm assuming yeah. she'll be finished, if, like, in a, much like uh, Peter Jackson in 
what, five years, six yeah. years by the time she finishes it? <laughs> I'd say so. I'd say so, yeah. The extended cuts of, of uh, Two Terrors, one of my favourite movies as well, actually. So uh, looking forward to uh, to hearing your thoughts on that one. Uh, Victor Von Doom uh, also sent a message into. He said, a nice love story. Joel and Ellie must be well healed, thanks to Bill. Uh, true. Yeah, I think they think they picked up everything uh, in the house there. Uh, pretty yep. good. Uh, Richard Blaze says, this episode was one of the best pieces of television I've seen in a long, long time. The story of Bill and Frank's relationship took us to new highs and then dropped us to an excruciating low when bill poured the wine i was in tears trying to write this with shaking hands and blurred vision from crying everything about it was so sweet tender and just beautiful not really what you'd expect from a show that's supposed to be about zombies infected i could easily watch an entire season about bill and frank and them finding love with each other i freaking love this show Thanks, Richard. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we're like we all <laughs> said that we could easily. I don't know about a whole season, but mm-hmm. I could. I definitely watch some more of the kind of more stories because for what we've seen, the Raiders only attacked once, and we know that's not true. So yeah. let's show us more. Absolutely, absolutely love love those moments with them, and and I think there's still a possibility. You know, as I said, Joel and Tess did pop in and visit them a few times over the years so we could have little flashbacks to, to them yep. in there uh, just because a character's gone in this show doesn't mean that we're not going to see them again right it's true no one stays <laughs> dead it's 20 years yeah yeah <laughs> and no one stays ha- dead are you gonna are you saying we're gonna get bill back as, a, as an infected in the future or something Chris? We, we, they never showed oh, us no. they never showed us if they had it. showed us the bed and there was no one in the bed oh <laughs> Then they're infected. Oh, no. Yes. And finally, we have some feedback from Jamie Lawton, who had this to say. The creators and writers absolutely smashed it out of the park this week. Mm-hmm. Great story and storytelling. And the actors, Bill and Frank, were excellent. Nick Offerman from Parks and Recreation and Murray Bartlett from the first series of The White Lotus. This series definitely has the interest of some big talent seeing some of the guest appearance that they've showed up so far. Hmm. Yeah, well, it, it was. It's one of the biggest games in the world, so mm-hmm. we definitely know that. And then also, when you attach Pedro, when you attach Craig, when you attach Bella, like they had that. And as much as we talk about the Disney dump truck money, HBO have got some money too. They've got yes, some deep do. coffers, and they are able to kind of go, "We really want you," <laughs> and they can get you <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but i, I know craig mason uh, apparently is really good friends with nick offerman and that's why he was in, invited to do the role there was another actor that they were considering for uh, for that role as well but he's on our flag means death um yes. so so he couldn't uh, couldn't film this but um i will leave you the quote from uh, from nick offerman uh, when he was interviewed about taking up the role and, and why he thought he was perfect for it and he said i don't really know Craig Mason knows lots and lots of talented actors. I guess none of them were free for this. <laughs> and that's why I got it. But he's great. He's really, really good. So I'm so yeah. glad he did get it. No, 100%. Excellent. Thanks so much, Jamie. And thanks, everybody else, for your feedback this week. Good to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you with your thoughts on The Last of Us. Please continue to email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries where you can leave your thoughts on the spoiler post that we put up every week. We have lots of other stuff going on this month uh, as we go into February. Uh, we're still covering Star Wars The Bad Batch every week uh, and very soon. The final season of Star Trek Picard will be coming up. So Star Wars and Star Trek going on in February for us on TV Podcast Industries. It's not just the next generation. It's the final generation. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's going to be an interesting one. Let's see if they can beat season two. Not going to be hard, but let's see. Mm -hmm. And with all that, 
said and done. Make sure you join us next week for our coverage of The Last of Us Episode 4. Please hold on to my hand. Ooh. Oh, oh no, there's going to be. That does not sound good. No, it doesn't. No. Oh, God. Oh, no. Well, only time will tell. But with all that said and done, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fellow survivors, we must bid you adieu. And in lieu of John being here, I must say, keep watching, keep listening, and keep surviving. Bye. Bye. Bye.